0: of the chapter. Let's read the word of God and then I'll I'll pray for us. Listen to the words of Jesus. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge. By the way, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Pray with me. Father, we are in awe of you that you would speak to us so plainly in your word that you would speak to us so clearly in the person of Christ. We think of the words that we heard to prepare us for worship today. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Father, make us radiant with the truth of your word and your presence today. May we go out of here in awe ourselves and showing forth the awe of Christ, magnifying him. I pray some very specific things for us this morning that like Christ, like John, like Moses, that we would let others praise us and not our own lips and that our praise would be from you. That our regard for your thoughts, your words, your ways would be infinitely higher than those of people because that is what they are. That we would forsake anything that is not pleasing to you. That we would abide in you and your words in us. That we would wholeheartedly come to you as you've invited here by means of your word and that your love, that infinitely high love, that surpasses knowledge, would fill us. Your infinitely high ways and love come to us in the person of Christ. That we would come to you in repentance and faith, some even today for the first time. And that is my friend Pastor Cliff Boone prays that we would seek authentic glory by means of grace alone, according to the truth of your word. Amen, amen. You may be seated. You heard the expression, don't believe everything you hear, or don't believe everything you see? That those words ring in my ears as a child? And maybe at no time in history have these words been more apt for us to not believe everything that comes at us. Do you remember the first time you were lied to? You probably don't, but you probably remember when you realized that you had just been lied to. How does that feel? How did you respond? I know for me it was very unsettling and as life progressed, I've been amazed at the ease with which, uh, the ability of, people's, uh, of people to deceive and the ease with which people lie. It continues to surprise me less, yet it does still surprise me. It's almost as if hypocrisy is becoming acceptable or even expected. Who do you believe? What do you trust? Do people trust you? Why or why not? In that context, why should we believe Jesus? John has stated this very purpose in the book, as Pastor Omar has repeated over these last few weeks in John 20, 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have a life in his name. In our immediate context here, we see the primacy of verse 18 in chapter 5, somewhat of a turning point in this chapter. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's your series, right? Equal with God. Jesus continues to demonstrate this more and more plainly, more and more powerfully in the gospel. So Jesus claimed and the Jewish leaders understood that he claimed to be God. These were the same Jewish leaders whose hypocrisy Jesus would repeatedly point out. He would say things like in Matthew 23, 13, do as they say, not as they do. But Jesus stands in stark contrast as a perfect example, both in word and deed for us. To this point in John, we see uh, the Apostle John has explained the eternal origins of the Messiah, Jesus. We see Jesus perform his first miracle. In chapter 3, Jesus explained the primacy of regeneration. You must be born again. Unless you were born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. That's a big theme for us today. How, how is it that we can see the reality of Christ? God must do something in us. Jesus presented himself as the living water to the woman at the well. And Jesus healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, and these words follow that as he explains what that work is, the very work of God in him. We see Jesus interacting with real people in real time and space. You get that right. These are not fables. These are personal accounts of what Jesus said and did. Last week, Omar, Pastor Omar unpacked verses 19 through 30 and how Jesus was one with the Father in will and works and authority even over life and death and what's amazing as you look through this you see that jesus is both in submission to and has authority with the father as, bo- as both fully man and fully god so in light of that today we'll be working at four aspects i hope you have your notes i've given you a little work to do to fill in the blanks hopefully that'll help us to uh, really listen to god's word today we're going to look at the works the witnesses the words and the worth or glory. And these, we can see the, these things coming from God as contrasted with that of people. There's a stark contrast here. So let's start with the works. In this series, Equal with God, it has become crystal clear that God was equating himself with God the Father. There's a myth that's going around um, among people who don't know Christ I said, well, this idea of Christ being God came around maybe the third or fourth century. Man invented it. I don't know what they're looking at, but as we can see in this text and others, this was quite plain. Even if Jesus, you could make the case that even if Jesus didn't believe that he was God, the people around him thought that he thought that. So it's very, very clear that he was, he was speaking plainly. We'll see this here in this passage. Jesus was equating himself with God. Notice what it says in verses 17 through 21. Right, it's just so clear after he healed the paralytic. My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's very, very plain. So Jesus said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'the son can do nothing of his own accord, "'but only what he sees the father doing. "'For whatever the father does, the son does likewise.'" For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Are we marveling at what we're reading here today, what we're seeing? May that be so as we understand the weight of it. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So as amazing as it was that Jesus healed a paralytic who'd been paralyzed for 38 years, Jesus raises our sights to see that he has even greater power than that, power over life and death, and not only this life and death, but eternal life and eternal death. It's amazing in the passage that was preached on on that healing that all the Pharisees could see was that Jesus was breaking their rules, not God's law, their rules. You talk about adventures and missing the point. He just healed someone who'd been paralyzed for 38 years and this seemed entirely lost on them, All they could do was focus on themselves and their own rules. They did not marvel, as the scripture says, that you may marvel, they didn't marvel at what Christ had done. So that missing the point continues in our passage today as the Jewish leaders would search the scriptures for life but utterly miss it in Christ. John 1, 4 says, in him, in Jesus, was life and that life was the light of men. We see also in verse 30, right, Jesus' union with the Father. His works express the will of the Father. Again, we see Jesus' authority with and submission to the Father as both God and man. And look with me at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. In other words, Jesus' works were a demonstration of the will, power, and perfect creation that the Father had sent him to accomplish. Notice what it says in John 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Further on in John 10, verses 37 and 38, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me, but if I do them, Even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Further in John 14, verses 10 and 11, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of of the works themselves, God's work always accomplishes God's purposes. And, wh- and what is that purpose? Let's unfold this a little bit. I love what Jesus said in John four verse thirty-four. He said, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work." It's a very powerful word, accomplish. We see this in John seventeen four. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What is this work that Jesus came to accomplish? We see this, we saw this in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. That is the work of God, to give life, eternal life. So in your notes, and it's on the screen, there we go. The works of God are from God and for God. It's so interesting That these works that Jesus do are not only for us to see, but for us to experience. There's so much we could say here, but notice what it says in John 3, 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God or wrought in God. Something that God has created in him, right? God's works are not just external for us to look at, but internal to give us life, to transform us, to make us like him. Now, how is this clearly seen? John 6, 28 and 29, then they said to him, what must we do? They asked, how do, we, how do we do this? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Again, John twenty thirty one. The purpose of the book: these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. This is all over the book. Verse twenty four: He who hears My word and believes me, Him who sent Me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So, in your notes, the work of God is that we believe. The work of God is that we believe and have life in him. And by the way, that belief is not from ourselves. God brings that about as he regenerates us and makes us born again. When it says that this is the work of God that you believe, that means that that's the work that God does in you. There's a lot I'm tempted to say here. I'm gonna just say this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that... Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The, that is the faith. We are, we are so helpless, so dependent. So God makes us born again and gives us faith. I think, Michael, you read that passage, right? That in First Peter 1, that he has literally caused us to be born again. Does any of us choose their own birth? No, God does his work. And that is the work of God that we might believe. I couldn't help but think as I was immersing myself in this passage, of 2 Corinthians 4, 6, talks about, when it talks about God's work, we think of uh, something that's finely crafted, something that's, that's very creative, that brings something out of nothing. You realize that, right? When, when, when God created the world, he brought it about out of nothing. Even atheistic scientists realize that. <clears throat> they want you to believe that something came from nothing and that was un, undesigned, right? We know that, that it came from, the unseen is from Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God who says light shall shine out of, so good, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That creative power by which he created the world creates new life in us and bursts forth from our hearts. That is the work of God, life. We could stop here, but we've got more awesome things to discover. So we talked about God's work of life, eternal life. Let's talk about the witnesses. Look at verses 31 through 37. I'm just gonna kinda reread this and we'll, we'll unfold some things from it. Jesus said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. Here we see the concept of witness or testimony, right? You hear that repeated in this passage. And this is a theme from the earliest times in the Bible. You might recall in the, in the 10 commandments, right? The ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness. You, not, you shall not say untrue things about others. And the phrase about bearing false witness occurs some 11 times in the Old Testament. And it's always associated with discord and destruction, right? When we bear false witness, We're we're, we're destroying people when we lie about them. You recognize that, right? It's serious. It, it's actually equated to blasphemy in God's words. When we slander others, it's that serious. It's not as serious as, slandering, as blasphemy against God, but it is slandering against his creation. That's a serious thing in God's sight. It's one of the things that the Lord hates in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Also, we see in the Old Testament that multiple witnesses are a requirement for confirmation of any truth. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So what we see here is God setting a standard and fulfilling his own standard in Christ. I mean, this, I, boy, we could go on about that. That's a whole sermon right there. How Christ is the fulfillment of the law. This is just one example. It's very exciting. God fulfills his own standard of multiple witnesses by providing four witnesses for us here. Jesus himself, John the Baptist, God the Father, and the scriptures themselves. Jesus himself, John the Baptist, excuse me, God the Father, and the scriptures, the word of God. So in your notes, Jesus provided multiple reliable witnesses to his deity. Jesus provided multiple reliable witnesses to his deity. Well, let's start with Jesus himself in verse 31. This is very interesting If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That's interesting. The source of truth was saying something potentially not true. What's going on here? I I think Jesus is is hearkening back to the authority that the Jewish leaders did recognize. and it was the Old Testament that we just read. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established in Deuteronomy 19.15. We also see something that I think is interesting in, in Proverbs 27 too. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. So Jesus was actually relying on the witnesses of others to promote him. Let's think about that. The very light of the world, the very God of God, did not promote himself. How about you and I? We're kinda all about ourselves sometimes, aren't we? Jesus didn't do that. It's amazing. Our humble savior did not promote himself, but was eager to let others promote him. In John 8, 8, 54, Jesus said this, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. Amazing. So I have a quote for you on the screen from the uh, Bible knowledge commentary that I thought was helpful here. Jesus affirmed that he did not seek an independent self-authentication. He was content to submit to the Father's will And let the Father authenticate him. We see this theme repeated in the scriptures, don't we? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you at the proper time. We are not to be self-promoting folk as believers. If our Savior was like that, how much more us? How much more us? So was Jesus stating here that his testimony was unreliable? Well, look at John chapter eight, verses 13 and 14. He said this to the Pharisees. You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the Pharisees said this to Jesus. The Pharisees said to Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. No doubt keeping in mind that Old Testament standard. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. So that accusation stood if Jesus was only a man, but he wasn't. As we shall see, he had other compelling witnesses to affirm his deity. The next is John the Baptist. We see that in verses 32 through 35. This is the other one who bears witness about me, right? I love what it says in verse 35. He was a a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Let's talk about him. The Pharisees had sent a delegation to John in chapter one. You've covered that in this series earlier. John would say things like, I am not the light. I am here only to bear witness of the light. Right? I am unworthy to tie his sandals. Right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's deflecting attention away from himself and onto Christ. I love what it says in John three thirty. May this be our prayer. May he increase. And my eye decrease, right? It's all about him. This is, this is, this is what John did. And, and look what it says. He was a burning and shining lamp. He was very impressive in a sense. But it was only because he was reflecting the glory of Christ and pointing to him. So John gave glory to the son. And the son gave glory to the father. Amazing. Notice the humble posture and the focus on the right glory. We're gonna to get to that a little bit later. What is the right glory? The next witness, so we've seen the witness of Jesus himself, of John the Baptist, now God the Father. We see this in verses 36 and 37. But the witness, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard his form you have never seen. There is so much here. Let me try to summarize it for you just a little bit in a way that will be helpful. We see there were um, the very works that Jesus was doing, these were, the, these were the testimony of the Father. These were God doing his works through Jesus. Right? And then we see times in the Gospels where the Father audibly spoke about Jesus. We see this in his baptism in Mark 1, verses 10 and 11. John 1.32 refers to that. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. An audible voice from heaven. We see after the triumphal entry in Mark 12, 28 through 29, Jesus said, Father, imagine being there for this. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. God the Father spoke from heaven, and they thought it was, they said, it, that's something else. That can't be God speaking. Don't we see a lot of that here. God speaking plainly, but who has heard? Who has heard? Even John the Baptist had to be reminded. You know that as, as great as he was, he had doubts. I find this oddly encouraging. Do you have doubts today? Even as we're hearing the words of God, do you have some doubts, some things you're struggling with? We all do. Our faith is challenged. Lord, increase our faith. We see in Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news Preached to them, look at the works, look at the works. Jesus would further say in Matthew eleven eleven, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John, on the ba- than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was a great man because he pointed to a great God. And our greatness only lies to the one in whom we point Jesus. So in your notes, faithful witnesses point to the glory of God. Faithful witnesses point to the glory of God. So we have the witness of Jesus himself. We have the witness of uh, the works through the fa- of John the Baptist. We have the witness of the works of the Father. And finally, we have the witness of the scriptures. Interestingly, it says in verse 37, his voice You have never heard. His form you have never seen. This is said to the Pharisees who were immersed in the scriptures. He says, you've never heard God's voice. It's interesting. We're going to get into this a little bit later. He pointed them back to Moses. And as the Lord would have it, I happened to be in Numbers in my through-the-year Bible reading this past week. And I noticed something interesting in Numbers 12, verse 8, where it says of Moses that he specifically heard God's words and saw his form. Something that the Pharisees had not experienced and yet they pointed to the authority of Moses. And just, We just want to really think about this. It's ultimately the testimony of the Lord himself that we want to rely on. I love what it says in Psalm 19.7 about the written word of God. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. May that be our experience today. So let's get into that. Let's talk about The words of God, right? We've talked about the works of God, the witnesses. Now let's get into the words of God. Look with me, if you will, again at verses 38 through 40. Amazing. He said to the Pharisees, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet... You refuse to come to me that you may have life. And then verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Why was it that these highly educated men, these Pharisees, who were immersed in the scriptures as their vocation. They knew more about the Old Testament Testament scriptures than anyone, maybe than any of us put together. Like they knew it. They could they could they could speak it. They memorized large portions of it. And yet Jesus is telling them, he's saying, you've never seen God. You've never heard God. How can that be? I think the idea here is To search the scriptures, to have them, right? The idea is that you do not have and hold to God's word in your heart, right? You don't don't let it dwell in you and you in it. John 15, seven talks about abiding in God's word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's the experience that we're supposed to have and that was foreign to the experience of the Pharisees. So God's words had entered their minds but his spirit had not penetrated their hearts. I think this quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary, if you could put that on the screen, was really helpful here, and really reinforces our sermon title today, which I didn't give you, Believing is Seeing. Believing is Seeing. One must believe in order to actually hear. Words falling on deaf ears communicate no actual message. To see God the Father in the person of his Son requires an act of believing faith. To the inquiring Philip, Jesus said, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God's word was beyond their ability to grasp because it was not heard with the ears of faith. In all matters of the Spirit, the only sequence that yields results is to taste and see that the Lord is good. No seeing without tasting. The testimony of the Father is the word of assurance that comes with persuasive power to all who believe. I wonder, is that your experience today? Jesus would further explain in Matthew 13, 15, as he quoted the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah six ten. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Why don't people hear? Why don't you and I hear? It's a matter of our wills. We don't want to repent, because if we really heard, we would need to submit ourselves to Almighty God and His will and His ways in our lives. And in our pride, that's the last thing we want to do. I read a quote from Augustine this past week. In talking about his salvation, he said, I was in prison, not with physical change, but to my own prideful will. God wants to break us of that. We'll go into that in a little bit. What does our will do? What is our own glory? We see this not hearing rise to a full crescendo in the book of Acts with the first martyr, Stephen. He gave a powerful testimony quoting much of the Old Testament scripture. How did they react? It's amazing. They literally stopped up their ears and rushed in on him to kill him. That's kind of the ultimate of where this goes. Amazing. Do you want to hear God's word for you today? Jesus says, If any man's will is to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is of God or whether I speak on my own authority. The lack of understanding of those who don't know Christ, and even maybe those who do at times, is not because our minds don't understand it, but because our hearts are not willing to obey. I could go, I could go in so many directions here. John fourteen twenty one says, says, here's my, um, I'm, drawing, I'm drawing a blank here. It really equates obedience with understanding. He, um, I'm just gonna go right to it, bear with me. <laughs> this happens sometimes. Uh, whoever has my commandments, it keeps them, there it is. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose or manifest myself to him. That revelation comes to us through obedience, through a hum- humble submission. Let's put ourselves in that position. And so in your notes, to repent and believe is to hear and see. To repent and believe is to hear and see. But we're naturally stubborn. We naturally don't take up Christ's invitation that we see in verse 38. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life is come to me, is repeat, repeated in the gospels. Will we, will we take up his invitation, right? So when it says here, you search the scriptures, literally you explore the scriptures. And as, as I've said, the Pharisees knew so much about them. So when they explored the scriptures, he commended that, you explore the scriptures. But what were they looking for? For loopholes? For legalism? For pride and self-glory? Yes, yes, and yes. Even if for good things, they were looking to derive benefit from God and not for God himself. Men and women, this is idolatry. When we seek his benefits without seeking him. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. The Expositors Bible Commentary gives us a little insight into what rabbinic study looked like at that time. And it says rabbinic study did not did not focus on spiritual penetration, but meticulous analysis. In other words, it's all about the brain, but not penetrating the heart. And it is, you know, it's this passage from, w- from which we get the term bibliolatry. You ever heard that? The accusation that people worship the Bible, but not worship God. I've been accused of this. Just a brief testimony here is, you know, particularly in, in my younger days, in, in, in high school, college, I prided myself on memorizing scripture. Isn't that terrible? People were impressed with, with my scripture memory and I wanted them to be. Oh, this is just terrible. You know, using the glory of God to bring glory to self. I remember one time my sister, uh, try, she was giving me a compliment but God used it to penetrate my heart. She said, you know, people are just so impressed with you, Mark, they think you're perfect. And I stopped, and I was just pierced to the heart. And it, w- it was as if the Lord impressed upon my heart. Well, of course they would, Mark. That's what, you're, that's what you're going for. You're living for the approval of people and for them to be impressed. This doesn't please me. But you know what the amazing thing is? God's word is powerful and effective. And even though it was in my mind and used for pride. <laughs> as my friend Danny here says, God's relentless. He pursued me. He broke down my pride. He continues to do it. It's a wonderful gift today to preach to you a passage that deflects glory away from men. That's a wonderful gift. Praise God. It takes so much pressure off. I don't, I don't there's a sense in which I, I don't care what you think. Don't be insulted by that. Don't be insulted by that. God has given us, I don't, you do know that I don't have any original ideas here. I'm just trying to present to you The unfading word of God. So, this idea of worshiping the scriptures without worshiping God, I find a curious accusation. Do we have people thinking too highly of the Bible? Is this a a problem in our society? Is it a problem here? Oh God, that it would be a problem, right? But let's not miss this. Let's immerse ourselves in the word in a very personal way to come to him. Look at what it says in Matthew 15, two through nine. Jesus would further explain what's going on with the Pharisees. The Pharisees said this, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They set up their own rules which were not God's law and presented them as if they were. That's what was happening in that healing of the pool of Bethesda, right? No one broke God's law there. It's amazing. What idolatry to present, for them to present themselves and their rules as if they were God's. But before we get too critical, don't we do that? Don't we put ourselves in the place of God? I was talking to a, a brother just recently and who reminded me that Jesus is our king. And as such, his words are not optional, right? And so we worship him, we follow him, we come to him. And then in verse 40, you were unwilling to come to me, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The idea is that you're unwilling to draw near personally to God, that you might have and take hold of what is really life. Notice this quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It's on your slide. Interesting. Separated from the New Testament, witness to Jesus as the Messiah. The Old Testament is a book without an ending. It points forward but never realizes its goal. The goal of the Old Testament was standing right in front of them and they rejected him. The goal, as we discussed, is eternal life. And as John 17 says, this is eternal life that we might know him. Colossians 3, 4 says, Christ is our life. It's Him. It's not something else. It's Him. So in your notes, God through His Word calls us to come to Him for life. God through His Word calls us to come to Him for life. So we see the, the invitation to come to Him for life, but we also see an accusation in verses 45 through 47. Talks about Moses, right? The one who accuses you is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. So because the Pharisees did not acknowledge Jesus' authority, he pointed them to one whose authority they did acknowledge, and that was Moses. The very confidence the Pharisees had was that they were faithful to the words of Moses. Yet, Moses accused them, and he accused them in two ways. Notice what it says here in verse 46. says, Moses wrote of me. A primary example of that is in Deuteronomy 18.15, where Moses said this, the Lord your God will, ri- will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Listen to him. They weren't, Moses told them to listen to the man right in front of them, and they weren't doing that. So they were not doing what they professed to do in following Moses. But not only did they not follow Moses' words, they didn't follow Moses' example. It's really interesting. Numbers 12.3 tells us that Moses was the most humble man to walk the face of the earth. Isn't that interesting? The most humble man. You don't initially get that impression when you watch Charlton Heston as Moses. So put that out of your mind. Moses was the most humble man. John the Baptist, a very humble man. He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus, saying, I don't glorify myself. Father glorifies me. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death. Don't you see that all of this stands in stark contrast to the Pharisees who were promoting themselves? I was pierced as I thought about this. This stands in stark contrast to me as I so often seek to promote myself. How about you? May God convict us of this idolatry. And as, as I mentioned before, as Jesus had said, God's words you have never heard, his form you have never seen. We see this further in, in Numbers 12.8. Moses had. I was amazed to see how, how specific that was. He heard God's words, saw God's form. Face to face, God spoke with Moses. Amazing. So Jesus would later say in Luke 16.31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And we see this play out. Jesus was right in front of them. People were raised from the dead. I mean, this actually happened. This isn't theoretical. This actually happened, and people did not believe. So it's amazing when you think about this. Why is it that such such plain words and such plain works were not believed? Jesus explained this quite quite explicitly in John 10, starting at verse 24. Pastor Omar, you're, you're gonna love preaching on this uh, in a number of weeks. So I'm gonna give a little preview. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. <laughs> Was that not already happening? Yet they said that, right? Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. we were not one of his sheep. Very plain. So as we saw that God through his word calls us to come to him for life, God's, in his note, in your notes, God through his word condemns us in our unbelief. God through his word condemns us in our unbelief. So, we've seen the works. We've seen the witnesses. We've seen the words. Now let's close with worth or glory. This is a huge theme, so I'm gonna try to keep this relatively short. Pastor Omar, Omar and I were talking about um, Pastor D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous British preacher, so I, maybe it wasn't a good idea for me to listen. He did three sermons on this, <laughs> on this one verse. I only, I only got through, through two of them. There's so much here. Let's look with me at verses, verses 41 through 44. Jesus said this, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Listen to this. (laughs) Amazing. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What is glory? I think a good way to think about it is, is utter praise. It's the thing that we find most valuable, the thing that captivates our attention, the thing that we live for. And what is the love of God referred to here? Is having God as the driving affection of our hearts. And these things are related. Being captivated in our hearts by the glory of God, being motivated. The apostle Paul would say the love of Christ compels or controls us. It's the driving affection. We can't keep our eyes off Christ. As such, we must live on a vertical, right, and not a horizontal plane. We cannot receive our sense of being or our sense of purpose from other people. This must be found in God. Jesus received glory from the Father, eternal and true glory, not from people, you do recognize that man's glory is fading and false. As we see in the gospel narratives, you'll, you'll, you'll see this as, as we hit Resurrection Sunday. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord would soon turn into crucify him. With equal enthusiasm, maybe more. The glory of man is fleeting. So here we see that the Jewish leaders, those entrusted connecting people with God were motivated not by God but by people. They trusted the testimony of people over the testimony of God. We said that in verse 43. Others come in their own name, you believe them. I come in God's name, you don't believe me. They sought glory from people instead of glory from God. Even Jesus didn't do that. Think about that. The one who is very God of gods. He is all that didn't glorify himself. And yet, the Pharisees who were, shall we say, not all that, glorified themselves. You and I do that, don't we? Enough about me, what do you think about me? No, no. I'll share a quick, this is where my dad really helped me as a young young teenager. Um, I was having a bad hair day. Work with me on this one. Um, I was in middle school. And um, I was in church and I was very upset because I, because I was having a bad hair day. I was just very vain and I was, my dad could see that I was upset. He walked up to me, put his arm around me and he, he spoke in a very soft voice. Hey, da- hey Mark, what? You see all these people out here? Yeah. Do you know what they're thinking about? No. They're not thinking about you. How can that be? I'm thinking about me. And he said, um, do you know what they're all thinking about? I said, no, he said, themselves. And he just walked away. And I got to thinking about that. You mean everyone else is as self-centered as I am? Yes, yes. God help us. Jesus said in John 7:18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. It is an utter lie. To exalt ourselves. You recognize that? So, in your notes, to believe is to earnestly strive for God to be glorified. To believe is to earnestly strive for God to be glorified. You can't believe if you're seeking your own glory. Those two things are mutually exclusive. So, what is your driving affection? If it is anything less than the love of God, you will be sorely disappointed. My glory I will not give to another. God said in Isaiah 48:11, Ultimate glory is for God alone. 1 Timothy 6:15 6, through 16 talks about him as the one and only sovereign, the one who dwells in inapproachable light. Man, on the other hand, as it says in Psalm 49, 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Do you have foolish confidence this morning? We need to repent of that. Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to search out one's own glory. What do you think about in your private moments? Is it your own glory? Are you captivated by the glory of God? He said to the Pharisees in Luke 16, 15. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Self-glory is not only a dead end, it is utterly repulsive to God, and it is for us to repent of. So, we have a choice. Which glory Will we pursue? Which glory will I pursue? Which glory will you pursue? As I listened to the past few sermons by Pastor Omar, you guys are so blessed with him. You have no idea. There's a lot of nonsense going on. Uh, brother, you're, I just love how you bring the word, so thank you. As I was listening, to, in particular to John 4, the woman at the well, so interesting. What a contrast that story is to what we've just read. The elites did not believe, but the dregs of society, if you will, so-called, the lowest of the low, did. Doesn't that give hope for us? The very law which God gave to be a tutor to lead to Christ, we see this in Galatians 3.24, these men had made an obstacle to keep both themselves and others from God. Amazing. What God had designed as an entrance, they had used as an obstacle. Jesus would say in Matthew 23, 13, not only do you not enter the kingdom, but you prevent others from entering. Let that not be true of us. Let us be among those who humbly come to Christ and lead others to him. So in your notes, the last note here, we glorify God by deflecting attention from ourselves and directing attention to him. We glorify God by deflecting attention from ourselves and directing attention to him. I love the words in Psalm 40, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. May that be our constant cry, the Lord be magnified. We, We read it in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, not my praise, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So let me wrap this up. Have you heard the words of Jesus today? Do you receive his testimony? The Apostle Peter would say something remarkable here that I want to draw your attention to in 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize the things that we've just read are not myths, right? Not cleverly devised myths. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now listen to this. And we have the prophetic word, that is the written word of God. That's what this is referring to in context. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What this means is that what you have heard presented to you today in the scriptures is better than if you had actually been there. This is hard to believe. God is so gracious and kind to us to give us a word from the scriptures, preserved, more fully conformed, more sure for us. That's amazing. And I trust this passage that we've unfolded today demonstrates this truth. I trust that you have heard not from me, but from God. You have the very testimony of God today in Jesus Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He accomplished that salvation, purification of sins, perfectly for us. So I ask you, are you one of his sheep? Do you hear his voice? John 5, 12. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not commit the judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So you have set before you today a choice. The consequences are eternal because they have to do with an eternal God, a glorious God. Reject him and you will have an unsatisfying life. Reject Him and you will have an unsatisfying life of eternal torment. Of course, why wouldn't we? To walk away from the one who is life is eternal death. But repent and believe in Him and have abundant, satisfying life today and eternal glory in the future. So Christian, whose glory are you seeking? Whose words do you value? What love reigns supreme in your heart? As Pastor Omar Omar and I were speaking earlier this week, we recognize that belief produces a different kind of testimony. Does your belief reflect itself in your life? Are you humbly seeking and glorifying Him above yourself? Believe in Him, that you may see Him and have a life In his name, full, abundant life, Christ himself. Would you pray with me? Father, we are simply in awe of you. You have gloriously spoken to us in your word. May we come to you maybe for the first time and have life, but even as believers, always in repentance and faith, saying, oh, Father, you increase, I decrease. Glorify yourself. Be magnified. Get what you are worthy of by putting that in our hearts and lives. Amen.